Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Welcome back to our series on concussions in children and adolescents. And joining me to continue this discussion is Dr. Sally Fryer-Dietz. Um, in episode one, Sally walked us through dispelling myths and understanding what is a concussion and how they occur. In this episode, we're going to continue discussing um, the assessing, the interventions, and the evaluations for um, someone who has a concussion. Sally, I am so glad you could join us for episode two. Thanks, Candace. All right. So I really want to get this started with um, you see a child that is in sports, uh, maybe a football player. That seems to be kind of a pretty popular place. And you see someone go down on the sideline. What really happens once we go out there to start looking at at, uh, whether or not they have a concussion? Well, first of all, it should actually start before you even start the season. And uh, the first thing to start with is a good baseline test. Uh, that is a, a test that looks at what your cognitive abilities are at that moment in time. Um, and if there is a concussion, we can refer back to that and see if there's a change from that initial testing. Uh, the other thing that could, should occur before somebody's, you know, you're playing a game is that there is somebody who is designated on the field to be watching for concussion. And, uh, you know, Different schools, different, you know, private schools are different from public schools and what their requirements are and what their protocols are. But many schools have an athletic trainer, if they're lucky, on, on site who can be there to diagnose some, uh, not diagnose, I'm sorry, only a doctor can diagnose, but an athletic trainer can assess the risk of a concussion and refer to either the physician or an emergency room. Um, some Teams, some high school, you know, competitive teams might have a physician on the sidelines that's uh, keeping an eye on things. Um, it could be a coach. It could be, you know, parents who are trained in concussion signs and symptoms. Um, there's lots of different sideline tools that people can have on their phones, lots of different apps for, you know, how to uh, do a screening to see if there's a risk of a concussion. Uh, Do you have an example to, of like a tool that they could use on the sideline? On the sideline? Well, it's more of a training uh, than a tool. There there are a variety of apps. I can look on my phone, but you can just <laughs> Google, you know, yeah. baseline apps. There's an impact app. There's a, um, you know, just all different kinds of things that can take you through different kind of series of, of tracking but mm-hmm. what's really most important is somebody who is trained specifically in looking at vestibular function, which is your balance and postural reactions, um, somebody who's trained and understands functional vision, which is looking at the smooth pursuits and the saccades and the VOR or how your head is able to turn and fixate on an object. Um, you want somebody who's trained in doing a quick assessment of cognitive function, like the Maddox questions, um, you know, questions that, you know, ask about, you know, where you are, you know, what inning is it, or uh, did you play 
sports yesterday? What school do you go to? Who you know, scored last? Backwards? That's right. Who scored last? Um, I have actually a personal story. This is, oh, it was probably, it was 20 or 15 years ago. Uh, my son played rugby and I'm, you know, I've been a physical therapist, doctor of physical therapy I've, over 40 years, but we didn't have all the concussion uh, science or knowledge that we actually do have today. And he, I watched him get knocked down and he was a little goofy afterwards, but then he went on to score two more scores in the game. And after the game, he said to us, I think I got a concussion, you know, it was high school and, but he was acting kind of fine. You know, he didn't look particularly out of it or anything. And so really, and his dad was a physician. We weren't that concerned about it. The next day he went to school and he watched the video and he had no recollection that he scored two more, you know, tries after that particular hit. And so oh, wow. at that point, you know, we kind of got more conservative, but even then nobody, you know, really knew right. what was, what was going on. So, um, Trema has definitely changed over time. And one of those additions is the um, concussion specialist. Kind of what, how does that play right. a role? How do you get training for that? So a concussion specialist is really a term for somebody who has advanced training in concussion management. Um, in my case, I'm a physical therapist. I'm, I'm part of, you know, a concussion team, you know, all by myself. I'm not the whole picture. You know, that's just my profession. And I have training in vestibular rehab, uh, functional vision, balance coordination, how the body works, all those kinds of things. Um, an athletic trainer who is trained in concussion management. And they're a little bit better about in their education, at least today, having, you know, concussion management as part of their um, training protocol. Just like in every profession, though, not everybody's created equal. You know, your background and experience is all different. Um, occupational therapists can be a valuable member of a concussion management team. Same thing, a lot of them specialize in functional vision and in cognition. So, you know, really looking at, at those kinds of things. Um, speech therapy could be part of a concussion management team because, you know, the, the speech, the fuzzy thinking, cognitive processing, all those kinds of things may play into it. Um, you may have a manual therapy, physical therapist who specializes in whiplash injuries and, you know, problems with the, the neck, but they have additional training specific to the body and, and impacts. Um, same thing goes for physicians. You know, just because you're a pediatrician um, or an orthopedic doctor does not mean that you're 100% a concussion specialist. You know, you really, that needs to be your focus of practice in that you have a, a deep understanding of what the current literature is, what we need to be looking at, um, how to assess a concussion and, and accurately diagnose it. Absolutely. Yes, it's kind of like a, uh, one of those niche areas, but we're really seeing right. the importance of it, um, you know, as it's been highlighted, especially with NFL players who you know, right. retired and who are saying, hey, I have long-term effects from this that we didn't realize this is where it came from. Right. So, yeah, and what's very really important. more, right, what's more important than just 
any one specialty or individual. It is the team approach because every single injury, um, whether it's a concussion or actually just about anything else, they're all individual. You know, we're all different and we all have a different history and we have a different impact and we have a different trajectory for how we recover. So, you know, you could have somebody who has more vision impairment or you could have somebody who has more vestibular or whatever. And, and maybe that specialist, um, you know, after you have the initial assessment, the specialist who looks at you should be able to refer you if they cannot, if it's not in their wheelhouse to the appropriate person to help with those things. And speaking of differences and how we all learn, grow, uh, male versus female, do you, do you see a difference? And uh, and I know probably more football with males, but what do you see with females? Well, statistically, we actually, the number of injuries are greater in girls than they are in boys. Um, oh. uh, I think a lot of the reason may be just because of uh, skull density, body mass, um, just, you know, the neck muscles, you know, how, what the, the sport, uh, the highest rate of concussions though, it happens to be with girls soccer. Oh, I have more a soccer so player. Even, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Even more so than in, uh, than the, you know, football in, in many cases, but football and soccer are the two, you know, highest for that. Although more girls get reported with the injuries than boys. Some of that as well may be who's doing the reporting. Girls tend to report things a little bit better than boys Mm -hmm. do. Boys have a lot of, a lot of times, peer pressure to stay in the game and to keep working and to mask what those symptoms are. Whereas girls, if they don't feel good, they usually will let somebody know. No, it depends on how competitive they are. Well, and I um, I wonder if it it has to do with the culture around those sports. Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so what makes children and adolescents different as far as uh, assessing them and uh, why they you know, have the concussions and plasticity in their brains? Well, you have to look at sort of the bigger picture, you know, where an adolescent is developmentally. And it's not just physical or emotional, but you have a lot of social um, peer pressures and just like you just mentioned, the culture around the game. Um, younger children are developing very rapidly on a different, you know, in a different way, more, maybe more physical, um, and, and that kind of thing. So it, you have to kind of understand the age group that you're working with and be able to do an assessment that's appropriate, uh, you know, for that age group, you're still going to do the same sorts of things. You're still going to look at vestibular function and balance, but in a seven-year-old, you might have them um, trying to kick a ball or you know stand on one foot or whatever. Whereas a uh, an adolescent, we might use a you know a biodex machine to really measure their balance or do some more active. Uh, you know, VRR and visual tracking of vestibular kinds of tools that are a little bit more sensitive. So it's really understanding and knowing those developmental stages when they come in and you start doing those assessments on them to see where they are. Right. And also knowing the history of that child. That's why it's so important 
for parents to be um, really kind of forthright in their entire child's history. Uh, you know, does their third grader uh, have trouble with reading and writing? You know, it could be an early sign of a, a learning disability, whether it's diagnosed or not yet. Um, by high school, you may have a diagnosis of ADHD or depression. Those are not uncommon diagnosis. And, you know, both of those things for those different age groups can set you up for a longer recovery. And it's so interesting to hear that they could have those prior to a concussion, but they could have those develop because of a concussion. And, and if that research, you know, is that research out there that really shows the percentage of, of people that end up with this diagnosis after a concussion, it would be so interesting to test for. I don't even know how right. you would test for that. But. I know. They don't have it yet, but um, you have a lot of clinical observations. Um, we see a lot of patterns whenever you're looking at overall development. You really have to look at the patterns, you know, no matter what it is having to do with with development. It's not just about, could you do this or not do that? But, you know, what what's the trajectory of how things happened? Um, it's not uncommon. I've seen kids who were, you know, A students, just like top of their class, have a bad, you know, concussive injury. And they have a really hard time getting back into school and focusing and, and you know, thinking and processing information. And that that could go on you know, in some cases it could go on for months. And if it's not, this is where the, that rehab is so important and that guidance is so important because if it doesn't get addressed and a, a child tries to muscle through that, whether they're masking symptoms or not, but they're going to school and they're coming home with terrible headaches. They can't do their homework. They can't sleep well that night. They go back to school. They do it again. The sounds are driving them crazy. They start getting depressed. They don't, you know, they can't play their sport because maybe they just don't feel like it if they put them in there or they're just not ready because they're still symptomatic. And, you know, it can, it can cascade into a long-term, you know, problem. Whereas if you have somebody who's guiding you through it, you get your initial rest the first 24 to 48 hours. And then we see what your symptoms are. You go to school. How do you feel at the end of the day or a half day? You know, did you have a headache? Were you tired? Can you think? Whatever. If there's no symptoms, that's great. Let's go to school again. Have a longer day. No symptoms, you know, a little bit more. We start adding some exercise. And, you know, we've already, you know, looked at the other things. So you can you know, really stage that developmental progress so that they can recover quickly and effectively and to a full recovery before, you know, again, I, you muscle through it, your reaction time's off and you run into a locker and hit your head again. And now you've got that second Square injury. one. Yeah. Yep. And you're right. you know, square one plus, you know, squared. <laughs> yeah. You've got extra. So, um, yeah. so what does that, as you have someone who has a concussion, they start concussion therapy. What does that look like? So what we do in our clinic, we have a whole variety of tools, just like all the different specialists. Uh, we have PTOT speech that we all work together and uh, athletic specialist, manual therapist. Um, and we have a, a therapy called craniosacral therapy, which is a soft tissue manual therapy. It's extremely effective for reducing symptoms. 
we see, you know, all of our patients for it, whether they're a professional athlete or a child, it just, it helps to calm the nervous system. It helps to um, release tension patterns in the body that can help to promote the healing. We use that after we do an initial assessment. You know, first thing we'll do is the initial assessment, looking at the vestibular function, functional vision, cognitive, range of motion, all the regular things. But those things tend to exacerbate symptoms because we're challenging the body, you know, when it's just at the beginning of that healing process. But you have to kind of know where to start. We're still, you know, if they have terrible symptoms when you're doing it, you're going to have to back off and not complete that test. But we'll, you know, we'll do that. And then we follow it with the cranial psychotherapy. And I will tell you probably 95, maybe 97 Eight, 98% leave with a smile on their face after that cranial work because it is so effective. Um, that's your first step. Uh, from there, we prescribe a kind of the beginning of a rehab program depending on the kind of symptoms that were elicited in that initial eval. So if they're extremely symptomatic, you're going to start, you know, with very, very low intensity, maybe it's just, you know, walking around the house, or it could be walking around the block, whatever seems to be, you know, the appropriate level of activity for them. And you measure what are the symptoms afterwards. If the symptoms are a lot worse, it's they did too much. If they have no symptoms, then you can add on the next day. So you're constantly, it's that just right challenge of giving the nervous system input, but not stressing it out, not, not doing too much. But if we don't do anything at all, we find that that's more associated, especially in adolescence, um, with more depression and anxiety because they're away from their friends and they, you know, they want to get back to doing stuff. Well, on average, how, how long does, does that initial therapy last? There is no average it depends on the person and on the injury. Um, what, you know, the, the next step with all, you know, of those, say they do fine with their, their walking, they're able to get, you know, back to school. We uh, move into what we call a return to learn protocol. And that is, you know, are there different cognitive tasks that are more challenging or less? Do we need accommodations in school? to be successful, same thing, just right challenge until they are asymptomatic with learning. Then you can talk about return to play. Um, you can start that return to play with, you know, some just general conditioning, the walking and everything that kind of is, you know, where you start at the beginning. But as far as getting back into your sports, whether you're thinking and using your head on a computer or in school or you're playing the game, your, your brain doesn't know the difference. It's input. The brain is having to work hard with both of those things. So if you're symptomatic with learning, you are not ready to play. That's so hard for a child or an adolescent. Right. Especially uh -huh. if they're, you know, they were a really good athlete, you know, beforehand. But it gets back to why education is so important and, you know, really having those discussions about 
even though you know adolescents they're their own little you know they they live in their own world to a certain extent but it's a very short period of time in your life you know we're really looking at the big picture um you know parents can be interesting sometimes because a lot of times parents are really wrapped up in their what they perceive as their child's success in wanting to maybe they were going for that college scholarship or something and they want them back in the in the game and they can become a barrier to their their healing to the healing process yeah yeah but i would say most parents if you you know really got down to it would say the most important thing that they want for their child is to for them to be happy and healthy right and so if that's our goal as a parent to set our kids up for success then we want to do all the best things in their best interest down the road. Mm -hmm. Do you find that the schools are, are accommodating to these um, recommendations, especially as you're getting them ready to return to learning? Not always. A lot of, a lot of teachers I like to say coaches. better. <laughs> uh -huh. A lot of coaches, um, you know, it just gets down to, as we all know, everybody is, different. You have some who are really on it and you have others who live in their own world and the way they see things. And, um, but it, it falls back on why it's so important to have a good um, kind of medical team behind you. Um, having a physical therapist or an occupational therapist who's really, or an athletic trainer who is guiding your rehab, who can be your advocate in setting up, you know, if there needs to be accommodations in school or setting up if there needs to be, you know, some kind of a modified school or work schedule. Um, it's, it's harder for a teacher to argue with a medical professional um, as compared to a parent or the child. The child is almost like, you know, helpless in the, in the whole system because they, they're, they're kind of torn you know, between yeah, this is what I need to do. <laughs> yes. Right. And, and even without a, you know, a concussion, I know that sometimes children and, and parents and the medical team have trouble with those 504 plans actually being followed. Right. Um, so you go through all that paperwork right. to then have to fight it in the classroom. Right. And those things take a while to get in place even. You know, Absol so yeah, you really can't, you can't rely on your uh, school or the educational system to um, necessarily be on top of it the way they should be, Absolutely. in my experience. And yeah, um, yeah, here too. Uh, so <laughs> research I know is showing that nutrition really plays uh, a factor in and the healing from concussions. Can you kind of walk us through what that looks like? So it takes a lot of calories for your brain to heal, or even you know any kind of injury, surgery, whatever. You need calories to to heal those those tissues. So it only makes sense that you should have good nutrition um, to feed those cells so they can recover and be healthy. The things you do not want to do are you do not want to drink alcohol, you do not want to take aspirin, you do not want to drink 
um, sugary drinks or sports drinks. You know, a lot of those electrolytes have a lot of salt in them. Those are all like the worst things you could do, especially initially. Um, think about how somebody's on the field, they get hit with a concussion and they bring them a Gatorade. Yes, it's they not, do. Not a, yeah. not a good idea, okay? Because you're now flooding the central nervous system with sodium and your, your brain is trying to balance itself out and it just exacerbates all the, the stuff going in. Um, you know, protein, you want good, healthy proteins. Ideally, um, grass-fed um, beef and chicken, um, you know, uh, healthy things that have good, healthy fats with them. You can have, you know, dairy um, that can be a good, healthy protein. Omega-3s are really good, good for you. Um, Lots of water. The first thing you should be drinking is the water. Water, you know, just kind of helps to, you know, our body's primarily made up of water and it helps to naturally chelate out some of those, um, that imbalance that goes on. Uh, so those are your big ones. So I know you talked about uh, the sugar, or not the sugar, the salt. Um, well, but, sugar too is a big no-no. Right, that's Sorry. what I was going to ask you. So, that. Yeah, yeah. Huh. What is, so, what is it with the sugar? You know, because Coca-Cola, they are, you know, there's soda drinks that they love. Yeah. Um, any kind of sugar, sugar drinks, you know, Cokes, ice cream, even um, candy, stuff like that. It's just, it's not a healthy, it's not healthy for your body anyway. You know, we, we want to avoid the sugar part. Sugar and salt no. are the kind of big no-no's. So I know it's sugar that can cause a lot of inflammation in the right. body. And yeah. so if you're already struggling with a concussion, it just seems like that would be inflammation in the brain per se. Right. So right. that sugar would then make it worse. Right. Yeah. And that's another reason that actually, um, you know, it kind of brings up medicines. You really you know, shouldn't be taking, definitely not aspirin, um, you know, a, before you take anything, you really need to go through your physician. Um, some, you know, in some cases, you can take some Advil, uh, not Advil, um, Tylenol if you're really, um, uh, you know, sore or have some other issues. But I would not automatically give a child uh, Tylenol or, or Advil or definitely not aspirin because of the bleeding um, risk without going through your physician initially. So in those first few moments, you see a player down on the field uh, wait, waiting to get them evaluated by a uh, first responder, someone to decide if they're going to take them to the hospital. Don't bring them a sugary drink. Right. <laughs> is, don't do that. Is, don't, bring them some water. Pull, yeah, don't pull them up until you make sure that they don't have any kind of a neck injury. Um, assess their you know consciousness on the, on the ground, you know, see if... Do they have any pain? Can they move their feet? Can they move their hands? You know, all the kind of initial screens that you would um, do from a first aid perspective. Um, if all that checks out, out, they can sit up and you can do a visual scan. You can do it very quickly, moving your, you know, finger very slowly across. Can they track your finger doing those smooth pursuits? Or is there a jump, you know, with the eyes in any one direction? Same thing up. And down is there a jump that goes on? You know, are their pupils um, equal? 
And then convergence is another really good quick screen where um, you might have your finger or something out in front of them and ask them to keep their eyes on your finger and watch for when their eyes cross. And, you know, you should be able to get pretty close before you're, you start seeing your eyes cross, cross about six, you know, um, centimeters or millimeters or whatever, you know, just about right here and, um, and be able to tell. But if they have a really hard time and they can't, you know, do it, then, mm -hmm. you know, that's a big sign that there's something off with their vision. And now one of the other things that I saw was eating small meals frequently during recovery. Yeah. And that just kind of, you know, again, it, it actually kind of maximizes the calories that are going in. If you eat smaller meals more frequently, again, of the higher, you know, protein so that you're not just overloading your body with, with food and, uh, and input. Um, so really, we're looking at avoid overeating, uh, no fried foods. What about fried, fried foods? Fried foods aren't really that healthy for you. They're not the <laughs> right kind of fats. You're better off having, you know, an avocado, an avocado. shake <laughs> or some healthy nuts or, you know, some eggs or, you know, something that is just right. a cleaner Right. Kind of food. So you want some clean proteins. And, and we yeah. know in healthcare that protein is really that, that very important nutrient that we need when we are healing, right. uh, regardless of what kind of wound it's healing. And so really that's also beneficial for the brain too. Right. And you think about, you know, if, if you've ever been on, had a comparison between eating a really crummy diet, like you, you know, had to do a bunch of night shifts for a month and you were eating, you know, McDonald's every night and a happy meal in the morning or, you know, you're just like, you know, all yes. this stuff. You feel terrible. You don't, you don't feel very good. And uh, as compared to you go on the whole 30 diet or something and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I've got good energy. You know, you feel, yeah. you feel better. You can take on the, take on the world. So, you know, yeah. diet, diet plays a big part. Absolutely. Uh, I've actually just finished the Whole30, so very familiar <laughs> so you know with that, that yeah. anti-inflammatory diet. But you really yeah. do. You, once you get off the initial um, uh, sugar, salt kick, um, yeah. you really do start to feel better. Um, yeah. So I, I understand that. that um, and you also, yeah. because you have inflammation that you're now trying to get down in the brain, it does make sense for an anti-inflammatory right. type you'll diet. See, yeah, you'll see a decrease in, in headaches and the fuzzy thinking and, you know, a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of other things. Yeah. Um, well, we are coming to the end of episode two. Is there anything that we haven't covered or maybe you want to cover a little bit more in depth before we end? I think, you know, the big thing is, is just be as you know, well-educated as you can. Um, you know, don't, don't just think it's not a big deal. You know, when in doubt, sit them out. <laughs> You know, that that's, a, that's a good, good saying. Yeah. Just like with kids, we just, you know, we're their protectors and it's really up to us as health professionals and parents um, and teachers and coaches to do what is right for the highest good of that child. And I don't know that anybody would say that the highest good is getting them back out there to 
play because they're your star player. You know, it's just let's look at the big picture on why we're doing all these things in the first place so that, you know, kids can play sports safely and um, we can do the right thing for them if they are injured and we know the right, you know, the right steps and the right advice to give parents. And, you know, so much of it comes from just misinformation and just not knowing, you know, just kind of out of ignorance that, that things happen. Um, so you have more information now and you can use that to your advantage and, and really, you know, do what we need to do for these kids and refer them to the right kind of, you know, you know, a, a concussion clinic, a specialty clinic, a s- specialist who does, you know, the kinds of things that, that we do. And, and you can really, you know, make sure you're covering all those bases so they can have a good, healthy, safe, quick recovery. You know, as adults, especially as, uh, you know, parents and coaches, yes, this is our, yes, this is our adulthood. And, you know, we, we really want to push our teams to do well, but at the end of the day, it is not that child. That child still has so much life left and right. the, the choices that we make can have negative repercussions on their future and the things that they're able right. to do. And so I'm glad that this information is coming to light, that there's more research going on about concussions, that we're starting to line up the correlations the, to mm-hmm. the causations of concussions. So I think there's a lot more that's going to be coming out in the next 10 or so years to really help us uh, in this area of treatment. Yeah. We have come to the end of our series on concussions in children and adolescents. Thank you, Dr. Sally Dietz. The insight I have gained into concussions, especially being a mom of three who enjoys all of these different sports, has has really been huge. So thank you for taking time to educate us today. You're welcome. To our listeners, I hope you've also gained insight um, into this topic. And we encourage you to explore many of the courses that we have available on EliteLearning.com to help you grow in your careers and earn CEs. This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.